All right, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Joe, and this is Josh. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing well. How are you? Awesome, awesome. All right, so today we're going to cover some questions that we received from a young man in middle school that has some uh, some important questions he wants to see answered. So uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and bust right into them. Um, first question we have is... What specific reason is it that Jesus died at 33 years old? Is there any significance to that number? Mm-hmm. So. Yes, because he could have died at any age. 33, there's probably a reason for that. Yes. So I think the uh, the first thing to look at with that is 33. Three is a very highly repeated number in the Bible. Um, it is a number of completion. Uh, examples of three in the Bible, God called the prophet Samuel three times. Jesus returns to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane three times. Obviously, the third day after the crucifixion is the resurrection. Um, There are three gifts at Christ's birth. Obviously, the Trinity is a set of three. Uh, So Jesus dying at 33 would represent completeness. So I think that the double three, whenever you repeat something in Scripture, a lot of times the repetition of something shows the importance. So repeating three twice at 33 would make complete sense to me. Well, and that's also just Hebrew language, right? How they, if it's repeated three times, it's, um, you know, to the utmost emphasis. If it's right. repeated twice, it's two. So do you think, do you think 33 is like, because it's repeated twice, it's showing that it's not, there is still something to this where like, you know, Jesus's final um, coming back in Revelation to take us all home. Do you think that would be like the third three symbolically? That's an interesting thought I've never had, actually. So, yeah, that very well could be. I mean, we don't know exactly when he's coming back, but certainly I think that could factor into the equation. Um, obviously, there's going to be a third three. Uh, there may even be a completion of seven by them, mm-hmm. seven being the ultimate in completion numbers. So that's a very good that's a very good point I never thought of. Uh So I think we've kind of covered that one. The next question, uh, he wanted a list of the types of angels. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, Yes. For something, this this generation is very, very interested in the stuff you don't hear about in Sunday school. Um, Mm -hmm. It is a generation where we're interested now in, in the book of Revelation. We're interested in angelology, demonology. This generation is really coming up and going, listen, I need something more. I need a little more than what everybody's willing to tell me. Yes, we know that Jesus died for our sins. We know about Noah's Ark. We know about the Tower of Babel. Tell me more. Go deeper into these situations. And so this young man actually wanted to hear about the types of angels. So I compiled a list of the different types that have been mentioned either in Scripture or in extra biblical sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, to give you an idea. So the first one, obviously, cherubim. Uh, everybody knows about the cherubim that guarded the, the Garden of Eden, uh, the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was said that Satan was a beautiful angel, but was also the covering cherub. So we know that cherubim are regularly mentioned in the Bible. They have four faces, a man, a lion, an ox, and an eagle. They have four feet like a calf and four wings. So these are not fluffy, cuddly little angels like you see in art. They're actually pretty scary. Right, yeah. Which is why in the Bible, every time an angel appears to somebody, they have to say, do not fear. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, I would definitely be afraid if a dude with four faces showed up and was like, hey, how you doing? Yeah, something, so, by the way, that does doesn't really seem to have much effect because the people still are very afraid. Yes, terrified, yeah. and and rightfully so. I can't think of one situation where I would see a biblical angel come up to me and I would go, cool. No, no, I would be scared. Yeah, um, especially if they have the flaming sword like the yeah. one at the Garden of Eden yeah, does. flaming I'm, swords. I'll pass on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So number two, we have the seraphim, mm-hmm. um, which translates to burning ones or shining ones. 
They have six wings, two to fly with, two to cover their face, and two to cover their feet. The idea of the seraphim is that its job is to praise God day and night. So it covers its eyes so that it's it's keeping itself blinded so that it's it's all about God, mm-hmm. right? It's covering the feet because in Scripture you'll see that, that your feet are covered for the most part um, in situ- certain situations where, you know, God was with Abram and said, hey, take off your, your sandals. This is holy land you're standing on. So Yeah, Moses with the burning bush as well. Yeah. 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 So uh, we, we obviously have situations in Scripture where God's going to say, take off your sandals, or you'll see people covering their feet. Obviously, Jesus uh, washes feet. So there's a lot to do with feet in the Bible. So when you see something cover its feet, that's going to be extremely, extremely important. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, the third one would be the living creatures. Uh, they're mentioned in the book of Revelation. Uh, there's not a whole lot of information, but there are living creatures mentioned, uh, which are another class of angel. And we have the luminaries. Luminaries are mentioned as a class of angels, basically the stars and the lights in the sky. Um, I know that when I was a child, a lot of times your parents, grandparents would look up in the stars in the sky. Those are angels. Mm-hmm. And as we come to grow and, and learn the Bible, we're like, well, no, that's not really mentioned. But it is actually mentioned in um, extra biblical text to mention that the luminaries are a class of angels that make up the stars. Mm-hmm. So, and is that is that something that's more popular in the Catholic tradition? And that's maybe why that's carried over into certain family traditions like that? It's a possibility. It was mentioned in multiple traditions. It's actually... Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say it was in the Book of Enoch. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, if you're looking at most of the older church traditions, um, probably around Second Temple Judaism on to what we would consider present-day Christianity, you're going to see people actually believe in these things because they're seeing it in these other texts. I mean, the Book of uh, First Enoch for example, was found with the Dead Sea Scrolls. So when you have a book like First Enoch and they're saying, hey, listen, you know, this is what this is called. Well, we don't have the information to really carry it. So right. you've got people that are like, well, that's that's what it says. We're going to go with it. So, And that's why I said it's an extra, extra biblical text because we don't have a Holy Spirit-inspired piece of this that, that actually refers to that way. At least I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. So... Um, the next class would be archangels. So these are your lead angels that are assigned to help carry out God's plans. Uh, Michael or Gabriel. Um, there's there's a few of them. So these are your these are your named angels. You yeah. Know? Um, and far as I can see, they appear to be humanoid in appearance. Mm-hmm. So we also have dominions. Uh, they're over the lower choirs of angels. Now, you can have good dominions or bad ones. Uh, Paul says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against principalities and rulers and dominions in, in, um, in high places. He's referencing the, the powers, the principalities, and dominions, which are three classes of angels. The powers are going to assist in the governing of the natural order. The principalities are specific regional angels. So you can have powers, principalities, and dominions that are on on the right side, or you can have them on the side of the enemy. So those are another three classes all at once. The last one I was able to find information on was virtues, and they basically run the operations in the world. So they, they keep everything going as planned, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to make up the heavenly host that we read about. Uh, Baneha Elohim is how it's pronounced in Hebrew, sons of God. Mm-hmm. So that is, generally speaking, the, the nine types of angels I was able to find between the biblical and extra-biblical text, not going with the Gnosticism and the heresies or anything like that. Right, yeah, we'd like to stay away from those. Yes, that's, that's my main objective, staying away from heresy. <laughs> I believe that's most, yes. <laughs> yeah, Gnosticism sometimes just seems more like science fiction of the second century than it, anything else it's certainly fun to read it uh is. it's it's not realistic but it's fun to read mm-hmm. so. um the next question we have from him is what is blasphemy of the holy spirit now, mm-hmm. i i have 
my answer for that, but why don't we see what you have to say, Josh? So from my understanding of it and what I've read about it, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit for me, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, by my understanding, it's really just a denial of the Holy Spirit's um, sanctifying power. Right, like it's it's just a final I, and that's why it's the the unforgivable sin, right? Because if you never come to Christ, if you never have the Holy Spirit and dwell inside of you, you can't go to heaven. Right, right, and I, I think I I agree with that for the most part. Um, so, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, it's only mentioned once, mm-hmm. and that was attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan, right? So that's what the Pharisees were doing in that. Yeah. That text was saying that, no, no, he cast out demons by the Lord of the demons, which doesn't even come close to making sense. But <laughs> I, I I believe that that had something to do with that. But in this day and age, the Holy Spirit is in believers. Yeah. So if the Holy Spirit is in believers, how can I attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to something not the Holy Spirit? Right. right. So... I would think that that would be a relatively difficult sin to accomplish in this day and age where Jesus isn't walking among us. It, yeah, yeah, it probably would be. But certainly I would say that to to take away the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believer by you know, admonishing him or, or keeping him out of your life or just denying that sanctifying work, that would be my assumption of what they're talking about there with that sin yeah and that seems to be fairly consistent too as far as um you know like jesus says in several different examples there isn't really anything you can do to run away from god other than deny him fully and like never come to him in the first place right right and so i think that that's the biggest thing in the, this day and age in the church, we have a whole lot of people who deny the power of God. Um, we have a lot of people outside the church, too, but inside the church is where we need to be experiencing the power of God. And in so many churches, uh, they will deny his power. I don't think that means every single person in a church is unsaved and going to hell. I, I just I have a hard time believing that that's what that means. I do believe that if they deny the power of the Holy Spirit working in their life for their, their salvation, ultimately is where we're really an experience. Like, okay, well, if he's not working on my salvation, then how did I get saved? Because I can't do it on my own. Is that fair? Well, yeah, and I think this is kind of bleeding into the next question that we're gonna we're gonna answer here. But it's sort of this this sense of like, okay, well, if you deny the Holy Spirit, was the Holy Spirit ever active in you in the first place? Exactly, exactly. And and you're right, that bleeds into the next question. Mm-hmm. Um, can Christians lose their salvation? Uh, I, when I'm teaching the children in my classes, the first thing I say in regards to this is what kind of God is going to get something repossessed that he already paid for? Yeah. And he... he he has paid, bought, and paid for you with the blood of Christ. So can you lose salvation? No. Mm-hmm. But did you ever have it is the question, and that's kind of from the last question to this one is the bleed-in is that if there is a false conversion, if you are living a lie, so to speak, and there's a lot of people out there that do, unfortunately, live that lie. They'll go to church every week. They'll sing the songs. They'll put their hands up in praise but the spirit of living God is not in them, changing them and sanctifying them to make them the completed work that God wants them to be. Yeah. I mean, you know, you see a lot of, um, you actually see a lot of atheists kind of complaining about this based off of how churches are structured these days, because there is a lot of emotional priming that goes on. There are a lot of psychological things that mega churches do. Um, to, you know, maybe give people a sense that they're experiencing something that they're not. Right. And I, I think the church should probably take partial responsibility for that. At the same time, though, you know, if if God wants you, he's you're going to be his. Right. You know, and there's there's not much you can do to run away from that. Well, and so 
we don't always agree on everything. I, I think that, yes, if God wants you, he'll make a way, mm-hmm. but you have to be willing to be God's. He's not going to force himself on you. So he's not going to say, well, listen, I'm taking away your free will. You're going to be mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's more of a he knows it. So he knows who's going to be in heaven and who's not. He he has the book. Mm-hmm. We don't have that book. I would love to see that book. It would save me a whole lot of anguish. That is accurate, yeah. Um, to be able to look at the book of all the people who are going to be saved. But we don't have access to that here, so we do our best with the Great Commission. Go forward, make disciples. I'm doing the best mm-hmm. I can in that aspect. But ultimately, I don't think God's forcing us to become Christians and there's certainly a lot of people who have been called that will never answer that call. And I think that that has a lot more to do with kind of Pharaoh of Egypt syndrome. You know, in mm-hmm. in the Exodus, Pharaoh hardened his heart three times, and then God started hardening Pharaoh's heart for him. Right. Um, and I think that that happens. I think eventually he'll pursue you. It's it's like it's like dating. You know, oh you were going to pursue a woman and you're going to buy her gifts and candy and write her love letters. But eventually she's going to say, no, I'm not interested. And now you're going to back down. And I think that because the church is such a picture of ultimately the marriage of, of Christ and his bride, that we often forget these little analogies. God's not going to make you love him. Mm -hmm. He can't, he, he can, but he can't with the setup he put through. Mm Mm-hmm. And so he's not going to make you get saved. He'll pursue you. He'll send you love letters. He'll tell you all the things he's done for you. But ultimately, it's your decision on whether or not you accept Christ's free gift. And a lot of people want to earn it themselves. Mm -hmm. And being completely honest, I think everybody truly in the back of their mind wants to earn it themselves Mm -hmm. until we come to the understanding that we absolutely can't. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always a certain sense of inadequacy in the soul of believers and non-believers, you know, like this this sense of with everything I've done, um, how could anyone love me, let alone some sort of divine figure of perfection? You know, yeah. like how could that? And we struggle to wrap our heads around that. But I also think, you know, at the same time, there's a certain sense of, for me at least, this is where it all comes together for me is I don't think knowing what I know about human nature and just how people operate, I genuinely, I don't think we would ever want to come to God on our own. I think we actively pursue every means of becoming gods ourselves. Mm. And this is reflected in the Garden of Eden. This is reflected throughout the entire Bible, right? The Israelites wanted a king because they wanted a God figure. Right. Because at the time, that's what kings were. They were divine figures for the peoples. Right. They wanted a defined figure that they could see. Right. And so I think this effort to make man our God, I'm not sure how people would get around that without the intervention of the Holy Spirit. Do I think that we still come to God via our own free will? Of course. But, uh, you know, for me, I am under the impression um, that that is, it's this, it's this beautiful marriage of the will of God and the will of man. Right. Yeah, and I think that you're, you're right in what you say when you're saying that, you know, we pursue everything but God, and we want to be gods ourselves. That's been the heart cry of man since the garden through the Tower of Babel. I mean, the, if you read, um, I want to say the book of Jasher talks about how when Nimrod and his people ascended the tower, they wanted to climb the tower so that they could put themselves in the place of God in heaven. Every Bible story, with the exception of very few, show us trying to be gods. Mm-hmm. You will be as gods. It's the best lie from the, the devil, and he's been using it over and over again. You can even see that reflected in today. Yeah. You know, we we want to create our own kingdom here, and we want to make our own moral rules, right? Yeah, I mean, a tip for young people who are navigating life, the devil is not an original person at all. He doesn't really come up with original ideas very often. So recognize the patterns that the devil uses. Mm-hmm. And really, like, 
hone in on those because they're going to repeat. Right. And the more you recognize that, the more you're going to be able to understand, hey, I don't need to go down this road. Been down it before. Bad idea then, bad idea now. Right. And that's, I, I think that patterns speaking, the Bible is a Bible, is a book of patterns, you mm-hmm. know, and there are so many in there. There's patterns to show how we respond. Not everything's a devil. You know, I remember the, you know, I want to say it was a Saturday Night Live sketch where this woman just kept, devil made me do it. Devil made me do it. Yeah. yeah. Not everything is the devil. A fair amount of it could be attributed to nefarious sources, devils, demons, whatever. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it is just our own evil hearts. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the sanctification, salvation question is really and truly a question of where is my heart? How how little can I do and get away with it and still be called a Christian? Which I think is at the core of, unfortunately, many people today. Yeah. How little can I do to show God I care? And, and God was quite different. He said, how how much can I do to show them I love them? Yeah. And the entire Bible is his love story telling us, listen, I've done everything, including come down here in human flesh mm-hmm. and, and be punished and tortured for you. Can you at least show me that you accept that? Yeah. And I think in so many cases, people just can't accept that grace. I had a friend years and years ago and I got into a conversation with him right after I got saved. And I said, man, you have a son. I said, God sent his only son to die so that you could live. I said, having a son, you can appreciate what you would do to keep your son safe. But imagine yeah. how much God loves you that he would do that. And he looked at me with the saddest eyes I've ever seen. And this kid was a smart aleck. He liked, you know, he liked cutting up. He didn't really... He didn't really get serious off, and he looked at me with these sad eyes. I can still see him in my head today, and he goes, but I can't accept that because I can't imagine anybody would love me that much. And yeah. that broke my heart because, man, yeah, I love you. I, I want to see you do well. I can only imagine how much more your creator loves you. You right. know, It's the what if you've seen what I do in dark places thing where people go, well, you know, if, if he really knows everything about me, he knows what I've done. And he loves you anyway. You yeah. know, oftentimes we think about God's forgiveness and, and God forgives us for our sins. Mm-hmm. One thing I really want people to hear is that forgiveness is for the offender. Mm-hmm. So we often will forgive people and we believe that we're forgiving them for them. But the truth is, is that forgiveness is for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I once heard a story where a guy said that he was in a a group scenario and they were talking about forgiveness. And they said, all right, you can't forgive somebody? He said, yeah. He goes, all right, go hold this chair until we're done talking. And he stood in the corner. He held the chair. For 45 minutes, he held the chair. <clears throat> and the leader of the group said, how's your arms doing? Why are you still holding that chair? Your arms are shaking. Your nerves your muscles, they must hurt. He goes, yeah. He goes, all right. Put down the chair. Because the only thing we do by holding on to unforgiveness is hurt ourselves. And God knows that. God knows that to the point where he won't let that happen. He forgives us willingly. All we have to do is ask. And that's part of the self-made man mentality of... I want to do it myself. I want to do it myself. And God says, no, you can't do it yourself. That's the point. There's no doing it yourself. Yeah. I mean, if, if by our own works, we could bring ourselves to heaven, that is again, just an extension of wanting to be our own gods. Right. Right. Like, I mean, really that's, that's what it is. Even, even when you're saved, you want to do these sacraments. You want to do these things in order to achieve salvation Mm -hmm. on your own. And it's like, no, you don't understand. You don't do this. Right. You don't. God is the one. He is the author of your salvation. He is the one that brings you to him. He loves you so much that even though you are entirely incapable of doing anything about your sin on your own, he makes you new. He brings you to him. And that's another thing I think people, sometimes that bridge isn't crossed in their mind. It's that, 
yes, God is forgiving you for all that you've done, but when you make it up to heaven with him, you are a new person. Yeah. None of that stuff that you've done in the past is weighing you down anymore. Right. It's like it, God couldn't love me because of the things that I've done. That's not true. But even if it were, <laughs> you are a new person, and right. that stuff is stricken from the record. Right. That takes, I take a lot of solace in that. When I get to heaven, I'm not getting judged for the things I've done. I'm getting judged on the things Jesus has done. Yeah. So putting on Jesus like you would put on a, like a coat, mm-hmm. it's that protection of Christ that's around you. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is his son in whom he is well pleased. So looking at me, he doesn't see Joe, who, who made a ton of mistakes, who does terrible things, who's broken and wounded and, and you know lacks sympathy in some situations. He sees Jesus, who lived a perfect life, mm-hmm. who gave a perfect life to sinners, to, who, who crucified him and, and jeered him and punched him and ripped out pieces of his beard. Mm-hmm. He sees that perfection on me, and for that I'm eternally grateful because I personally, I don't think I could take an 18th of the punishment that Jesus took. I probably would have died yeah. before the cross. Well, yeah, most people did. Yeah. So that was a that was a good that was a really good question. That's a question I think a lot of believers have mm-hmm. that they struggle with, and and honestly, what it all boils down to is if you believe you have anything to do with your faith, you don't. You yeah. Know, the only yeah. thing you've done is the sin that requires a savior. Mm-hmm. Everything else is Jesus, and and that's why we love him. So. Yeah. Well, and. The younger that you understand that, the better, because the longer you bear the burden of your own salvation, that's a lot of sleepless nights. That's a lot of regret. That's a lot of stuff that God says you don't have to handle on your own. And that's why I said, like, these questions came from a fifth grader. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This is, these are amazing questions from an adult. They're they're even better when you realize they came from one of my fifth graders. So Mm -hmm. praise the Lord for that young man. Um, The last question we have here is probably the most controversial subject we're getting into today, but certainly not the most controversial we'll ever cover. Um, yes. When perfect. was Jesus actually born? Now, we all know that he was not born on December the 25th. This is not only fact, but almost indisputable from the, the context clues the Bible gives us and when he was born. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, the shepherds watching their flocks by night disqualifies December 25th completely. Um, so I don't see anybody in Israel hanging outside at night with sheep that time of year. It's going to be cold. Uh, yeah, no, that, that portion of Israel is essentially a desert and yes. it gets very, very cold at night. Yeah. So I've done research. There are a couple other people who have done the same research and I have come to one specific date in history, and that would be Tishri 1 on the Jewish calendar, on our calendar, September 11th, 3 B.C., which is a very interesting date, which we'll get into. September 11th is a very interesting date, yes. So the reason for that, before we get into kind of some of this other stuff, the reason for that is because the Bible tells us when Jesus was born in the book of Revelation, which is a book so many believers are terrified to read for whatever reason. I'm not, but uh, a lot of people are. And it gives us a stellar alignment telling us the exact birth of Messiah. And it talks about a woman with a garland of 12 stars around her head, um, the sun passing through. These exact stellar alignments in the sky have happened only one day in human history. And you can look that up. There's actually a a software out there called stellarium.org and you can plot the coordinate points in there. And it happened for exactly 90 minutes on September 11th. They reckon it as negative three BC in the system, but it's three BC. And it tells you that this was the 90 minute stretch in which the Messiah was brought into this world. Tishri one makes a lot of sense there. Because I do believe, I could be mistaken, but I do believe Tishri once starts the Feast of Trumpets. 
which would be heralding a new king. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, as far as heralding a new king goes, we see that with Herod himself and the wise men. Like, that was understood very well by them because right. they said, hey, the stars align on this date. That means there is a new king. Right. And for certain, we know that the wise men were following stars. Right. Mm-hmm. So the particular star that we talk about is the Star of David. But certainly that star could represent that one star in the sky, the Messiah's. Yeah as it passed through the woman. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a very, very controversial date because of what happened in 2001. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was alive for that. I remember that very well. And many people ask me, well, why would you believe it? You believe it just because it's controversial and, you know, well, the stars make sense. And, and God told us that stars are given for signs and seasons and, and so God told us what to look for. The thing is, is the devil also knew what those stars meant. And the devil was around when Jesus was brought into this world, so certainly he knew the date. Now, were I the devil, I would want to make people absolutely despise that day. And how could I do that? The biggest terrorist attack on U.S. soil in history sounds about right. Right, an attack that spurned several decades of combat in other areas of the world. The Middle East, right? The Middle East, interesting. Which caused the Middle East to much of the Middle East to hate America, and America to hate much of the Middle East. So you have the largest and really only superpower in the world at the time hating the area in which everything biblical happened. That's interesting. Also. the Benghazi attack in mm-hmm. 2011 also happened on September 11th. Right. Exactly one decade after the attack. And right. just another thing that people think of before they think of the birth of Christ. Correct. On that day. Yeah. And I, I think that it's very telling that the devil would want to manipulate people and make them think things that aren't true in reverse. So, for example, December 25th, we do have a biblical figure being born. And, and it takes quite a bit of research to get there, but you will find that Nimrod, the creator of the Tower of Babel, was born December 25th. Mm. Um, and he was born in the same time frame as um, Abraham, I believe. So they were contemporary. It's the ultimate chess game. Mm-hmm. You know, um, L.A. Marzulli talked about the cosmic chess match, so I'm just kind of talking out of turn. He wrote an entire book on it. Uh, it's a fantastic read. But the move-counter-move balance that happens between Satan and God, it's an amazing, amazing thing. Because when you look at September 11th, okay, date Messiah came into the world, what can we do? Let's destroy this. Mm-hmm. And... We'll instead worship Nimrod, who, in my opinion, and, and I'll get into it in another episode, I'm sure, uh, I believe Nimrod is the spirit of Antichrist that will be returning in the end times. So the Antichrist is the one whose birthday we celebrate on December the 25th, and the Christ is the one whose birthday we mourn on September 11th, and in replacement of the towers that were broken down, there is one large tower which resembles an obelisk, which is a central, pivotal piece of the Nimrod slash Gilgamesh story. Isn't it interesting, too, that the September 11th attacks, uh, this just registered for me, um, they happened right around the time when a lot of the means to research the original birth of Christ were becoming available on a global stage. Yes. So the the instant that people had the ability to understand this, that's when the first notable September 11th event happened. And and interestingly enough, right after September 11th, uh, we we said that it was the uh, the Afghans that uh, attacked us, mm-hmm. and uh, actually the first place we went was Iraq, which makes all the sense in the world. Yes. Well, weapons of mass destruction. Right. Well, if you know why we went to Iraq, it makes all the sense in the world. There was a museum in Baghdad that had resurrection cuneiform tablets in Mm -hmm. it. And when we went in as a military, we raided that museum 
and we took a whole bunch of stuff with us. The only things that were not returned after this raid were the cuneiform tablets that dealt with dying and resurrecting soul gods. So uh-huh. I'm just saying, I it might have something to do with it. Artifacts that the weren't the Nazis also very interested yes. in those things. Yes. yes, yes, and and throughout history, you'll find that a lot of the evil powers that have come to power, a lot of them had a a keen interest in either the the Tower of Babel, Nimrod, Gilgamesh, mm. or other gods of of old. The gods of antiquity were real creatures. They were not capital G God. They were lowercase g gods. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, were revered and believed in by people. Um, yeah. Certainly, Nimrod left the Tower of Babel with 70 different names. Mm-hmm. You know, there's 70 different languages that split from that tower. So everybody went away talking about this guy in different languages. Yeah. So you have Gilgamesh. You have... Um, some of the other names that he has gone by, um, I believe Tammuz, uh, Ra. Nithra, Ra. Mm-hmm. So you have all these different names about this one guy. And the ultimate chess match here is Jesus versus Nimrod. Mm-hmm. So I think there's no denial of Nimrod being an Antichrist type figure. He was, in my opinion, the first Antichrist spirit to ever be on this planet. So, yeah, and that really hits into the heart of why the birth of Messiah is so important. It's so important that we have the true information, the correct information, and not our traditions. You know, man's traditions are very come and go. They they change as often as we want them to change. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the Bible, the Bible tells you the right way to do things. And if you do a little research, it goes a long, long way. And um, in this situation, I think that this is tremendously important that we get this down. I always go on Facebook on uh, September 11th and and wish Jesus a happy birthday. It's a nice conversation starter. (laughs) I I certainly have gotten my share of dislikes on it, but... I'm sure, yeah. The truth of the matter is, is I want people to know God. Jesus, the Bible, better than they know the newest Netflix series. And and that's difficult in this in this country and in this world right now, in the state we're in. It certainly is. Yeah. I mean, even I remember like back when I was even interning with the church, this was something that we talked about a lot because there there were certainly times where we discussed the newest entertainment thing more than the Bible during our meetings on the Bible, which was which was always funny to me. And I can't say that I was totally um, faultless for that because I, I had my share of contribution to those discussions. But at the same time, it was always something in the back of my mind, this conviction of like, hey, you're distracted from God even when you're amongst the people of God supposed to be talking about the word of God. How much more are you going to be distracted when you're not around the people of God right. during time that's penciled in to discuss the word of God. Right. And and I've talked to the kids in my group and said, listen, guys, you're the only Bible a lot of people are ever going to read. If your life doesn't scream Jesus, yeah. then what are you doing with your life? Where is the purpose and point of your life mm-hmm. if it is not to scream Jesus to the masses? Because in this world twisted sick and evil as it is and it certainly is i never thought in my years i would see it get this bad if we don't have a hope for people well let's just put it this way without god there's despair if there's no purpose to life if there's no god there is nothing but despair the question you wind up asking yourself is if there is no god if there's no purpose to all this what's the difference between me living and dying suicidality is at an all-time high in this country and in this world. Yep. And I think that that is because the the new wave atheism, Mm -hmm. the despair, and people who are not willing to get the answers to the questions, but just assume the 30-second TikTok answer. Yeah, well, and I mean, we can look to 
in the grand scale, very recent history um, for this as well. The man that took over the uh, the state of Germany after World War II, his name was Conrad Adenauer, and there was a, a relatively famous meeting between him and Billy Graham. Um, and Conrad Adenauer, if there was any human alive at the time that knew about the struggles of instilling hope in a broken population, mm. it would be that man. And during this meeting with Billy Graham, he told him something that has always uh, stuck with me. He said, uh, Billy, apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no hope mm. for man. Now, he did not mean no hope for man on a cosmic scale. He meant very literally, there is no hope to, there is no purpose to live. Right. And he had seen this. He had seen the fallout of, um, of the Nazi movement, of the Nazi regime. He had seen like very closely, closer than any other human in history had seen, just what the fallout of genocide and you know, like even even the people that weren't targeted for genocide, like the ration system in Nazi Germany and their occupied territories was horrible. Mm-hmm. Everything about life there was terrible. And he had to quite literally build, rebuild the structures that had been firebombed, that had been bombed, that had been torn apart by war, but he also had to rebuild the people. And in all of that, in all of his years attempting to do that, this man, Conrad Adenauer, said, there is no hope for man outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If there was any other way, he would have found it. Surely, surely. And I think that in a lot of cases, our society as we live in right now is so obsessed with themselves that they realize that, that they fail to realize, rather, that they they can't live for themselves ultimately. Mm-hmm. When you die, you're gone. Yep. There's no... Without God, without Christ, there's no hope in your death. There's no... There's nothing. Mm-hmm. So if you don't feel despair at that thought, what what's going on? You know? I, I mean, we're talking about one day you're here, the next day you're worm food, and after that, nothing. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And so I was an atheist for many years prior to accepting Christ. I lived like my life was all that mattered. Mm-hmm. But I never stopped to think the greater thought of if my life is all that matters, why does it matter? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter to anybody else because their lives matter to them. And I think in this highly atheistic society that we've come to, you know, be given by the the generations past we forget that there is meaning and purpose for everybody mm-hmm. and and it's really really important to remember that there's a reason that our forefathers believed there's a reason that the men that came before us believed yeah. and when they believed this country and this world was a better place mm-hmm. the country was based generally speaking, on Judeo-Christian principles that guided us until the new atheistic revolution, at least, with principles that we live by. You know, it, it was only a few generations past where, from on television, a man and a woman couldn't be in the same bed even if they were married, mm-hmm. to what now we have on TV, which would back then have been considered softcore porn. I mean, it just the makeout sessions yeah. and the nudity and the, the the lascivious living that you see on television now reflects where we are as a culture. Oh, it would have been absolutely scandalous. It, yeah. You you would never have gotten it on the airwaves. No. There was there was obscenity laws on the books until probably the eighties or nineties mm-hmm. that you couldn't get away with even saying certain words. Yeah. on the airwaves, much less some of the things we're seeing on shows like uh, Game of Thrones or Euphoria or any of these, you know, Netflix or HBO shows mm-hmm. where they're really, it's 
it's disgusting to a level where I can't even imagine where it's going to go in 10 years. And I think we all see where it's going to go in 10 years. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, listen, as a, as a younger guy who is looking at eventually raising a family and all this, I, I have, I put a lot of thought towards how I'm going to navigate those situations. Cause I mean, truly it, it already is unavoidable. If we're being honest with ourselves here, like the the whole sheltering uh, your children and maintaining their innocence, that's essentially impossible now. Yeah. Unless you just um, completely socially isolate them. Right. I mean, that is an option, but I don't think it's a good one. No. So how you navigate that is getting increasingly difficult. Um, and, you know, like as you are... A father and like for, we've discussed this before how difficult that is for you because you feel very lucky no, very in fortunate, this regard very blessed yeah i mean so like i said before we're homeschooling this year coming up because it's gotten so bad that we can't control even in a god-fearing town like we live in mm-hmm. uh, some of the things that the the schools are teaching what I've done, and I by no means claim to be the best father ever, uh, far from it. You know, I, I know where I am. Yeah. But what what I've been doing is, well, listen, here's, here's the lie. Spot the lie here. You know, I can't keep every single piece of media away from my kids. I can't keep them away from other people who have access to that media. When I was a kid, the big one was Beavis and Butthead. You weren't allowed to watch Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> so my parents wouldn't let me watch it. So what did I do? I went to my best friend's house and watched it. You know, there's always yeah, yeah. There's always a way around it. So I can't keep the garbage out of their hands on a permanent basis. Mm-hmm. Explaining to them why it's bad. Teaching them why these things are bad. You're going to meet kids in school that, you know, they claim that they have two mothers or two fathers. And, and if that's confusing to you, this is why. Mm-hmm explaining why these situations come up in this world and and how the Bible tells us that it was going to come up because make no mistake, the Bible does speak on these things and and it will actually explain the situation we're in now, how we got here and how we're getting there. Mm -hmm. And so being able to teach my children the biblical answer for it and to have grace and love for those people who commit these sins because we can't be angry at somebody who sins differently than us. No, no, we cannot. I mean, we are all wretched individuals from yes. the perspective of a uh, completely holy creator. The other aspect of that is people, people sometimes think, I think oftentimes think that we are in wholly unprecedented territory here. They always talk about how, oh, yeah, well, these, these sins did exist in the past, but now now my child carries in their pocket something that they can, you know, pull up uh, whatever, they, whatever they feel like it on a, you know, whenever they want. In an yeah. instant, they can have whatever they want on their phone. Okay, well, you have to understand, you know, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun, and that even applies to this. We don't understand fully what it was like to live back in ancient times what we do know is in roman culture there it was very common to have um pornographic images on vases or window dressing Mm -hmm. just in standard residences it was very common to have these icons of people in sexually explicit manner displayed on the street Right. Right. And like, you know, walking as a child, walking down the street back then, you could see it then too. Right. So this is not something that surprises God. This is not something that surprises scripture. And frankly, it's not something that should surprise us either. No. And I I think that you kind of bring that up. One of the things that most Christians respond with, they they have this, this visceral, oh my gosh, did you see that? They they did a pride parade in the middle of the city and people were making out on a float and all that. Gomorrah, Sodom, Zeboim, Zohar. <laughs> yeah. These cities were known for literal in the middle of the city rape yeah. of the people that come into the city. I, these, these things that we're seeing, they're not new. No. They're displeasing. Yeah. They're displeasing the Christians. 
uh, they're displeasing the people who aren't even Christians. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying, you know, like, oh, those people are evil, terrible people beyond salvation. No, certainly they, they have an opportunity for salvation like any of the sinners do, but it's not new. It's not, I'm shocked and just, I'm disturbed. I'm disturbed by it, definitely, but I'm not Absolutely. shocked. I've seen, I've read the Bible. I've seen how it played out back then. You have, mm-hmm. you know, this. I was actually reading the story of Sodom yesterday. You have Sodom and Gomorrah, which were basically the towns that, that Lot chose to go to. He had the option. He went, I'm going there. That looks like a great place. Right, and, yeah. And cities, certainly, in biblical times were not known for being wonderful places. No. Um, there was a lot of sin in cities, and, and that tends to carry over even to today. Yeah. Wherever you group large amounts of evil people together, and, and make no mistake, there's all of us are evil. There's going to be lots of evil. Yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. going to be a lot of evil going on. So I just say that none of the things we're seeing on a societal level right now are really surprising. It's the culmination of the world loving sin more than they love God, whether it's pride events, whether it's murder on a large scale or crime running rampant in the streets and not being uh, justified. Mm -hmm. These things have been around since time immemorial. The difference is, the difference is we have the internet now. Yeah, <laughs> we have the ability to see all of these things happening simultaneously, mm-hmm. and it's opening the eyes of the believers, and it's opening the eyes of the non-believers to see that we live in a world that is so destitute that these things go on unabated, mm-hmm. completely and totally independent of culture or or placement in the world. These things are happening everywhere. They're happening in your small towns, they're happening in your big cities, and they're happening everywhere in between, but we have 24-7 access to it now. Well, yeah, I mean, think of it like, even, like I said, on a a large-scale, relatively recent history, um, back when Lincoln was murdered, it would have been weeks on end before people in the same country and what was known then as the the West, but now right. you know the Midwest. It would have been weeks on end before they even knew that that happened, Correct. and now we're notified of it. Um, sometimes within you know two minutes of I mean, it happening, if it's in a different country on the other side of the earth. My phone just alerted me a couple of days ago. Tina Turner died mm-hmm. moments after it was announced publicly. I mean, I you in know Switzerland. Everything now. Yeah. yeah, you know everything now. Yeah, and I mean. I wonder, I truly wonder what kind of effect that has on someone's mental health too, right? Because not only do you have to deal with all the stuff that's going on in your life, which isn't really all too much more than anything that's been happening in the past, but you're also immediately notified, hey, five people were shot in, you know, pick a town, pick a state, pick a country, whatever, um, five minutes ago. And so you're you're connected with all of the evil that's happening, and you're very rarely connected with all the good. So from that perspective, it is certainly trying times in that regard because, yeah. you know, like it... And there's really, there's no... There's no blocker for innocence or youth with that either. People are watching videos of people, uh, you know dying in very gruesome ways at a very early age now yeah. because it's, you know, cool or funny or whatever the middle schoolers say that it is. But that that's very common to see that in a time where, you know, not 50 years ago, you might only see that once in your life, if ever. Right. And I mean, you know, coming up in this, there was there was always news reports and they always tried to scare you, mm-hmm. you know, is there poison in your breakfast cereal? Yeah, yeah, Stay yeah. tuned to find out. Uh-huh. And now there's, there, there we got to the hour, the 24 hour news networks, right? And now we got the chirons going under bomb. You know, are there are there bees in your hair? I don't know. Are, are there bees in my hair? Like, <laughs> so we got to that point where we get 24 seven news, and the news is very rarely ever good. It's mm-hmm. always the bad stuff because they don't want to keep you where, 
as the Bible says, keep these things that are of good rapport, that are, are wonderful, are beautiful, are holy and lovely. Keep these things in your mind, but, but the world is owned by Satan. Mm-hmm. So we're going to keep the negative in your mind. We're going to keep the fearful and terrible in your mind. And frankly, that's what we're seeing in the 24-hour news cycle now that we have literally six inches from our hands at all times. And yep. now with TikTok videos where you're getting 20, 30 seconds of content time, you're able to go ahead and push these things forward into somebody's hand. That they may have just been looking up a recipe. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, oh my gosh, the whole world's coming to an end. Yeah, That's where I think our fear takes over and the poison starts to leak into society. Mm-hmm. When we we don't stop to think about the negative, we, we, we look at it and we go, oh my gosh, that's gotta be happening everywhere because I'm hearing about it constantly. Mm-hmm. I think that the ultimate answer to this question is how do we keep ourselves in a state of peace Mm-hmm. And I think that the only way that we can keep ourselves in a state of peace is remembering who is the Prince of Peace, who yeah. is our rock, our salvation, our strong fortress, who's there to hold us and, and keep us safe. And then when we put our faith in Christ, we will see an amazing change happen in, in both our lives and the way we perceive these negative situations Mm -hmm. because when I see these things now, the first thing that jumps into my mind is an excellent opportunity to witness to somebody. Mm -hmm. Oh, did you hear about that? Yeah, man. You know, that happened before. Yeah. You know, having that opportunity to share Christ with somebody. And if I could leave off on a note for this, this episode I would say that the most important thing to take away from any of these things is that that your kids know. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, if, if you're there and you have kids, they know. It's better they get it from you. I have countless kids in, in my groups at church that look to me for answers because I'm willing to give them the answers. When I was young, I didn't get the answers. Yeah. You know, I I'm willing to look up the answers. I'm willing to give the answers to these kids. Mm-hmm. And they know it. And so I have a great rapport with them. But I only get them for a half hour a week. Mm-hmm. This is the point of the parents to, I strongly urge, if you don't feel like you know your Bible well enough to share it, read it more. Please learn. Please learn. Please learn. It, we're coming to a point in time where your Bibles may be taken away from you. Mm-hmm. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We know that... The first century believers didn't have it easy. It wasn't prosperity, wealth, and happiness. Mm-hmm. They were all martyred. Please learn because your kids are the ones that are going to carry this thing on. Yeah. So I really I wanted to say that because, it, I mean, these questions, like I said, they come from a fifth grader. This young man is, is wildly in love with Jesus. I can only imagine a world where every fifth grader loved Jesus as much as this kid does. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if they did. What kind of impact would that have on society? Yeah, I mean it, it would be it would be truly immense, and I think, you know, like it, we're both um, operant very very consistently in youth ministries, um, and I, I've had parents come up to my parents. I've had parents come up to me and thank me for the impact that I've had. Yeah on a student's life and that is something I mean that's that's a heavy weight but at the same time it feels really good I think the issue with that is though a lot of kids aren't getting that from their parents right and if they're if they're getting that from me over the course of an hour a week cuz that's about how long we actually do the ministry part of youth ministry while right. we're at youth groups, if they're, if that hour a week is so impactful for them, I really wonder what the rest of that week looks like. And like, that's, that's an issue because yeah. how many hours are there in a week? Right. And if they're only getting fed for an hour on Wednesday or Thursday, and an hour and a half, an hour and 20 minutes on Sundays, like, yeah, that's a problem. 
It's a big problem. It's a problem. And that's the world we're living in. We need to really focus on sharing the gospel. But first and foremost, we need to have that in our house. Yeah. What would it look like for every kid your kid comes in contact with to have heard the gospel? Mm -hmm. And how many generations would it take to turn this around? At its current trajectory, we're not turning it around. The, no, we the need turning to turn around, around is not happening. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just that important. Well, friends, we, uh, we've kind of come to our end of our episode here. Thank you, mm-hmm. and God bless. I'll be tuning out. We'll see you next time. Absolutely. See you next time.